Welcome to What Do You Think, I'm Al. And I'm C. Hey, C. Yes, Al? Sex. Fucking. Buggering. Let's talk about S-E-X. Let's talk about S-E-X. I don't want to sing the rest of that song for you don't fear know of it. a copyright strike. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, fair, fair. Yeah. yeah, let's talk about sex. You yeah. know, uh, uh, male genital goes into female genitalia, right? That's how that works? Sometimes. Sometimes, right? Okay. Uh, cool. Uh, so, um, see, do you think you're a prude? Am I a prude? Yeah. No, I don't. I don't view myself as a prude. No. Okay. Okay. How do many you think movies? You're, do you think you're a prude? How many movies about sex have you seen? Like, and I'm including like uh, sex dramas, sex comedies. Sex so comedies seem to be not the most where, popular. No, hold on. Not where movies where just sex happens, but where the main premise of the movie is sex. Yeah, just like like sex, and the the more graphic, the better. Okay. Um, it's not a lot. We're not where the main where the main focus is. Maybe I know you've seen The Handmaiden. That's one of them. Yes. You've also so, seen Blue is the Warmest Color. Yes. So no, I, I would say within five five to seven. Uh, have take. you have you seen? Um, uh, I've seen Handmaiden. I've seen Blue is the Warmest it was, Color. It was it was uh, Bert, it was th- that uh, the guy who did uh, the uh, Eva Green, uh, Michael Pitt. Um, Directed by that famous Italian director who did The Last Emperor. Oh, um, what was it? Oh, called? yes, Last Last Tango in um. He, yeah, Paris. he did Last Tango in I've Paris. Seen, well, that's kind of about sex, but it's also oh yeah, about La- Last Tango about per- in Paris is about sex. But he made like a movie that's literally about Eva Green, Michael Pitt, and uh, some I have, other. I have that one. I have not seen, but I've seen Last Tango in Paris. So there's three. Um, Bertolucci is who I was thinking of. Gotcha, uh, gotcha. Yeah, Bertolucci. Um, I can't believe I forgot who he was. Uh, the Dreamers. It was called The Dreamers. He made it in two thousand three. Has uh, had a uh, uh, what's his face? Uh, oh, the I've third guy Salo. was Louis Garrel. No, okay, I haven't seen that one. Okay, so so yeah, you haven't seen The Dreamers. That's pretty much about sex. Like, uh, yeah. there's literally a shot where Eva Green, like, you see her tits out right before they're about to have a threesome, and she looks like that that uh. She looks like that Venus statue that doesn't have the the arms. The arms, yeah. That's like a famous okay. shot in the movie. And then like full bush, just full bush. Okay. But, but yeah, it's 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 just it's it's very much about sex. I remember I watched it and I was like, "What is this?" That was actually the movie that gave Eva Green the reputation of always taking her clothes off. Um, mm. But so yeah, that which one, she since worked to suppress for the record. Yeah. So I think. yeah, now she's the she's like the new. Uh, uh, muse for uh, tim burton um she kind of replaced uh, tim burton's ex-girlfriend um uh, helen bottom carter yeah um, that was after she decided to be the muse of um the director of chinatown oh my god uh for weirdly she was stuck with him for a minute it was weird do you remember that roman polanski remember like she was in a few of his movies and like eva green yeah and like she hung out with him for a minute and everyone was like why what are you doing Interesting. Look, I didn't Google it. It's like she she there's a there's a bit at the Cannes Film Festival where she's just hanging with him, mm-hmm. like and not just like sitting next to him and doesn't know what to do, like very much engaging you with know, him. You know, you know who like, else huh. makes a ton of movies about sex? Who? Adrian Lin. You have no idea who he is, do you? No, I don't. What's he made? Uh, well, he made a little film starring Michael Douglas and Glenn Close called 
Come on, you know this one. Michael I won't Douglas. be ignored, Dan. Oh, um, shit. No, don't do this to me. Um, Come on, it's on the tip of your tongue. <sighs> say, just say it. I'm, I'm exhausted. No, 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 no. You got, you got to no, try. No, I'm not doing this. Oh, okay. Um, I'll not be ignored, Dan. Um. Fatal attraction. I'm sorry. Shit. I almost said dangerous liaisons, but no. That's not that's not right at all. <laughs> no, no. Fatal he, attraction, yes. No, 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 but, but but you were close. He did direct uh Indecent Proposal. That's probably where you were thinking dangerous liaisons. Mm, and maybe. Uh, he directed Deep Water, uh with Ben Affleck and uh and uh what's her name? Anna Darmas. Unfaithful. Like everything except Jacob's ladder is literally about sex. Well, flash dance isn't really about sex. Yeah, but. so his two most famous works are, well, some, a lot of his, fa- that's not true, never mind. Oh, I don't know where I was going with that. Like, like, um, like he, he's made one, two, three, four, five, six, he's made six movies and four of them are about sex. Mm. So. Um, well, no, it's not really about sex, never mind. Okay, yeah. so I've seen like three or four movies about, where the main subject is sex. Yeah, like, you know, the French, they literally have a subgenre of comedy where they called, uh, French farces, which is like just all these Parisians having sex, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. sex, 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 sex. Well, why are we talking about movies about about sex? Well, folks, it's an interesting subject, I guess, for uh, filmmakers. I would assume. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's it's literally the thing we have to do to continue on as a species. Well, literally, uh, yes. Yeah, and uh, I think culturally, sex has been a very important element in human civilization since the beginning of time. And I don't just mean like in a pornographic sense. I just mean in a kind of like in, an, in, a, in a cultural commentary kind of sense, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, by the way, we're reviewing uh, Yorgos Lathamos' newest film, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone. I was about and, to say, uh, where, where, like, when were we going to mention that? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So we're reviewing Poor Things, starring Emma Stone. Uh, Willem Dafoe, a Mark Ruffalo. Oh, um, uh, what, um, Antichrist is kind of about sex, but also about depression and grief. No, Antichrist is about literal misogyny, like justified misogyny. And sex. well, but there's there's a sex element to it. And Dogville's also, about oh, sex. Dogville's about sex. Um, I've watched. Half of part one of the of the Nymphomaniac. No, movies. yeah, I Nymphomania. Had st- so I had to stop. I was so like, that was actually, I I'll probably talk about Nymphomania uh, later on. Lars von Trier does seem to be really interested in sex. Mm-hmm. Um, so, folks, you might be saying like, okay, you're reviewing this new Emma Stone movie and you're talking about sex. Explain. Uh, so Yorgos Lathimos. Is, am I pronouncing his name right? It's yeah. Yorgos, it's Yorgos Lanthimos. I think. Lanthimos. I, I was forgetting the end. Yorgos Lanthimos. Lanthimos, okay. yes. Yorgos Lanthimos is part of the weird Greek uh, movement. Uh, basically, him... <laughs> the weird uh, Greek movement. No, yeah. Him, the guy who did... Uh, the guy who did... Um, Mandy. What's his name? His Mandy. Dad, his dad directed at Tombstone, by the way. Um, that guy's Canadian. No, the guy who did Mandy is not Canadian. He's not Canadian. I thought he was because you're thinking uh, Pentamos. Pentamos. Um, he did uh, Beyond Panos the Black Cos- Rainbow. Panos Cosmatos. Yes, Panos Cosmatos. I thought he was Canadian. He's not. He's Greek. He's, he's Greek. Oh well, yes. Then yeah, he's part of that weird movement. And yes, uh, 
I've seen both of his movies. They're he was insane. born in Greece, but they did end up living. He he ended up growing up in in uh, Canada. In Canada, but but okay. he he is still part of that weird, the weird Greek movement. Okay. Uh, so Yorgos Lanthimos and uh, Panos Cosmatos, pretty much, uh, and a bunch of others who I I frankly don't know their names, got their start being making these oddball movies, uh, that kind of were like esoteric art house pieces mm-hmm. uh Yorgos Lanthimos with uh Dogtooth and uh Ooh, Cosmatos uh, with yeah. uh Beyond the Black Black Rainbow Beyond the Black Rainbow yeah yeah I would say Beyond the Black Rainbow is a is a better movie but they're both very much out there in <laughs> that's my opinion that's some fighting words see oh like, wait, I, agree to- I agree oh, with you I agree with you I agree with you yeah but that's some fighting words I'm gonna <laughs> open the gate and say Dogtooth for me is unwatchable I couldn't stand it but that's Do- just me. Dogtooth to me was like, it was like, okay, he just wants to make us uncomfortable. Mm. Okay. And folks, if you're wondering like, well, what's Dogtooth about? Let me put you this way. Google it. <laughs> yeah, don't. Google it. Just Google don't. it. But Google don't. it. And, uh, don't and just, watch it. Here, here's what I'll say. Google it. But everyone in that movie was over 18. It, that's all I'll say about that. That's very important to know. That is very important. Oh, um, yeah. Jesus. Uh, but but Lanthimos uh, had this. Lanthimos has this anthem of "gotta be weird," "gotta gotta be true to myself," even if that mm-hmm. makes me a bit unaccessible. Uh, after Dogtooth, he makes Alps. Alps, right? Yeah, which I've Alps, seen. It's a it's interesting. It's is Alps kind of like a comedy? Uh it's a really, really dark comedy that isn't funny, because um, it's it. Do you know what the premise is at all? Uh, I haven't seen it. Okay, basically, people are. It's these people who are hired to impersonate recently departed, recently dead people, but they're mm-hmm. interacting with their their loved ones so that they can have a better time uh, moving on, an easier time moving on. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of the idea. But it's really, really, really sick and twisted when basically one of them ends up with someone who turns out wasn't so great to the person that had passed away. And they start doing said things to the person pretending to be them. And it just becomes this sick, fucked up, circular relationship that is very uncomfortable. It's not as uncomfortable as Dogtooth is. There is at least like some oxygen to breathe but it mm-hmm. really is it really early lanthimos is not for me it, it's not until we get later which we can get into in a minute but yeah his, so, his earlier work's not for me so yeah um so he crosses over to english-speaking cinema with uh, the lobster which is yes. a comedy and it's actually funny and it, it is and it's not just about sex it's about relationships and uh, Colin Farrell is amazing in it. Uh, Rachel Weiss is very, very good. Mm-hmm. And the dog who plays Colin Farrell's brother is a really, really good boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it was interesting. Uh, it, so obviously I, like most English speakers, were introduced to Lathamos through The Lobster. And one thing I remember after watching that film was like, the guy likes wide angle lenses. Mm, I don't know if I don't know if I'm going to be a fan. So folks, I I have an irrational distaste for wide angle photography. I tolerate it with Kubrick. In fact, Kubrick I feel like was the only one who did it well. 
And I know this is blasphemy, but it's kind of why I'm not really impressed by Terry Gilliam. Like the way he shoots mm. his movies, I'm always like, this kind of hurts my eyes a little bit because there's Have a distortion t- with wide angle photography that I'm just not like really. Have into. you seen the Fisher King? Of course, that's my favorite Gilliam movie. See, oh, it's my favorite too. I was just wondering. I don't know, no, but, but, but uh, like I'm saying, like, like. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I'm sorry. Like, I like Twelve Monkeys. I think Brazil's cool. I obviously like the the Monty Python stuff he did. Mm-hmm. But man, like, some you, one time I t- just time ba- time bandits is rough with those wide angles. I know what you're talking about. Time bandits. Uh, Jabberwocky. The, the Adventures of Bear Bear. Or, Baron Munchausen. Baron von Munchausen. Yes. Yeah, Baron von Munchausen. Um, the Brothers Grimm. Oh, it's it's just too much. Uh, I've never seen it, but I've heard Title Land or whatever is really rough. Also, also, if you're in Loathing in Las Vegas, it's it's tough because you're just like, I mean, it's supposed to feel like you're on drugs, and it's like, yeah, and I can't stand the distortion. So, so that's why, folks, if you're ever wondering, like, do I love Terry Gilliam? No. I mean, again, Fisher King, uh, 12 Monkeys are great, but I'm not really a big, big fan. Obsessed. Yeah. yeah. And obviously, infamously, Tom Hooper, director of The King's Speech, Les Mis, or the musical mm-hmm. version of Les Mis, and most notably Cats, mm-hmm. he does it way too much. I don't, I don't know what happened. He used to be a TV director. He didn't do it as much. I don't think he did it a lot in John Adams, which is my favorite thing he's ever done. Mm-hmm. And it, it was fine in... Uh, it was fine in the King's Speech because you know it's, it's, it's a small movie trying to have like an intimate scale uh, or a big scale, so mm-hmm. that distortion kind of makes things look bigger. So I got it there, but once he did it in Les Mis, I was like, oh, oh no, this is a thing with him. And then when he had an interview, he's like, I I shoot wide angle because of because I'm a big fan of Stanley Kubrick. I was like, oh god, I'm gonna hate his next two movies. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to hate it, all the movies he does afterwards. And yeah, The Danish Girl, I was not a fan of. And mm-hmm. uh, Cats, I spit No out. one liked that. Yeah. yeah. No one liked Cats. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so kind of going back to Yorgos Latimos, uh, he makes another American film, uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of was the formal introduction of, to his more, much more weird side. Yeah. Uh, this one, again, has Colin Farrell, who's coming back from The Lobster. And uh, Barry Keoghan, Keoghan, Barry mm-hmm. Keoghan is kind of formally introduced because he he his first big movie was Dunkirk, but Killing of a Sacred Deer was like him like actually being a character. And you know Nicole Kidman is in this, and I don't know mm-hmm. who played the two kids, uh, but that was Yorgos Lathimos being like I'm gonna be weird within the confines or within the tropes of a horror movie, and I think he was successful at that. I. I wasn't as blown away with Killing of a Sacred Deer as other people were, but I was like, no, he made a pretty good horror movie. Like, for me, it was Killing of a Sacred Deer, for me, was a step down from The Lobster. I know they're two totally different movies, but The Lobster was just so on point for me. I thought it was absolutely just this amazing deadpan humor. That Is it because you don't like spaghetti? Oh, whatever. That's irrelevant. Folks, go, go see both movies. My thing with... My thing with Yorgos is I'm realizing it is perhaps the situation that the way he has his characters consistently speak is possibly better in comedies than in dramas. It seems to be because it's a very off kilter way they talk in those. I movies. agree with you. I totally agree and with you. So I think because of that, you're watching this serious movie and they're talking in this kind of way. And I can't help but like, oh, this is kind of funny the way they're talking. 
but okay, I guess we're gonna go with this. And it's not that killing of a sacred deer was bad. No, I, I got it. It was it was interesting. And when I read up on it and learned that it was like an adaptation of one of the weirdest Greek tragedies to exist, I was like, okay, at least he's basing it in some interesting ancient foundation, which I can mm. respect. Um, but still, it just didn't quite mesh for me in the way I, I had wanted. So the following year, uh, <clears throat> he teams up with screenwriter uh, Tony Mc, McNe- McN- uh, Tony McNamara. Mick McNamara. Um, Mac- McNamara. Okay. McNamara. Yeah. Tony McNamara. He teams up with Tony McNamara and directs screenwriter Tony McNamara mm-hmm. and directs The Favorite, starring Emma Stone, Olivia Colman, and Rachel Weiss. Uh, this is his first time team. This is his first time making a film with Emma Stone. And uh, let's just say this is where, like, everything clicks. Mm -hmm. This is a dark comedy. This is a satire. It's a political satire. It's it's amazing. It Basically, it's Yorgos letting the screenplay flourish through his weird weird directorial aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And it works. It. Oh, God. This movie is funny. This movie has biting social commentary incredible political commentary mm-hmm. and it probably has one of the best twists character twists i've ever seen where you think the character is one thing and then it hits you you're like oh this was like i'm not saying is that it's as good as the kaiser soze reveal but mm-hmm. i was like i had like a little mini kaiser soze moment where i was like <laughs> oh Oh, oh, you bitch. Oh, I love this. Oh, my God. My and thing with it is is that it's just, it's so, somehow, because usually if you have three big actresses like that, it can be difficult to have them share the power, usually in the, on screen, usually only one, either one or two kind of dominate, and then the third, and this happens with any actor, can happen with any actor, and the third can kind of lay back. And that there are plenty of great movies that do that. But somehow, some fucking how, this movie manages to balance out all three of them in such an amazing way and have each of them have their insight moment, their, their, their personal moment. And it doesn't feel overstretched, which to me is, is the true triumph of this movie. I think, well, first of all, Olivia Colman was totally deserving of that Oscar. She won for that role. Oh, yeah. But I think what what impressed me most about the film was what it had to say about power and how ambition and thirst for power was a weakness in and of itself that could be exploited. Mm -hmm. It was so clever about it because really and truly, like throughout the the entire movie, I'm just kind of like, this person's kind of pathetic getting manipulated in this way. And then at the end, I was like, oh, oh. That's a bad bitch. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think what C and I are both saying was that the favorite was when we were like, oh, we get Yorgos Lanthimos now. We get it. Yeah. And uh, it, it appeared that he developed a really strong working relationship with Emma Stone. Uh, he directed her in some com- commercials for, uh, I think, some fragrances, I believe, or or was it some cell phones? I don't remember. But he, he directed her in, like, two big ads that mm-hmm. came out a couple years later. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were all just kind of waiting. Okay, what's the next thing Yorgos Lathamos is going to do? Uh, eventually, word gets around that uh, that uh, the the writer of The Favorite, 
uh, Tony McNamara is writing an adaptation of the Alist Alistair Gray novel, Poor Things. And everyone's like, oh, oh, that's going to be interesting. And Yorgos Lathamos signs on to direct it and immediately casts Emma Stone as the lead of Bella Baxter. And it was just, you know, like everyone was thinking like, wow, this is this is going to be interesting because the novel itself is a little off kilter. Mm-hmm. And to say anything about Yorgos which Lathamos. Is, which which fix, fits like a glove for Yorgos. Yeah, yeah, it just fits like a glove. And uh, here we are. Uh, poor things like as of this recording of this podcast like since it's since it's premiere it's it's been in the awards race everyone like poor things has basically turned best actress uh oscar race into a two-woman race lily gladstone from uh killers of the flower moon and emma stone from poor things it's pretty much that the bet those are the two betting favorites mm-hmm. um kind of sneaking up in best supporting actor talk with mark ruffalo uh as for his supporting turn um although weirdly enough in the same film willem defoe is kind of doing a dark horse run at that as well mm-hmm. and uh but yeah this movie's been getting a lot of critical praise i've heard some critics say that this movie does what barbie tried to do i have some thoughts about that uh but uh but yeah no this this movie's been getting a lot of hype and uh I don't know who who's distributing this uh, film or Searchlight. Searchlight's distributing this. Fox or formerly Fox, so Disney. So mm-hmm. Disney's distributing this, and they decided to make this the alternative programming for for Christmas for Christmas <laughs> season. Yep. So uh, yeah, folks, anyone who saw this with their parents, I'm sorry, <laughs> I did. I saw this with my mom, dad, and sister. So you know what? See, that was your fault. No, it was a hundred percent. No, my that fault. was that was straight up your fault because you know Yorgos Lanthimos, yeah. and yet you still were like, "Let's watch poor." No, no. When you're with your family, you don't watch Iron Claw. You don't watch poor things. Okay, okay. So you, you watch know what, you know Wonka. What? You know what? We both didn't take our families to Wonka. Okay, we both. Yeah, you, we fucked you, up. You, we you fucked took up. Your dad and brother to fucking Iron Claw, which. Jay and I told you was a bad fucking idea, and you're like, but we could. I know what happens. I already know. All right, but dude, dude, laugh. you've you've seen Killing of a Sacred Deer. You've seen The Favorite. You've I've se- seen Dogtooth. You've seen Dogtooth, and you were still like, yeah, mom, dad, sister, let's go see this. Come so on. Well, At that okay. point, you walked into that. What had happened was. What had happened was. Um, I. Uh, I was like, well, we should go see a movie. And my sister actually was interested in seeing this. And I'm like, okay, I wanted to like back her. Did, did dad- you not mention that like, hey, sis, this guy makes really weird movies. Let me tell you about Dogtooth. No, I, did, I didn't let know. Me, no, no, let no, me no, tell you about Killing of a Sacred Deer. Let me tell you about what The Lobster was about. She had and about lobsters. She, well, she technically, seen, it is about a lobster, but we'll get to a that. Lobster. Yeah. She had seen. She had seen the favorite, which admittedly yeah, it's one of his more tame movies. As far I as, would say, it's his most tame movie. It is. It is. It's the most tame movie. And my dad had seen the favorite and the lobster, um, and had no. Okay, if if your yeah. dad had seen the lobster, he he should have, he would have no, gotten a good. He idea. was he was prepared. My mother had <laughs> only seen the favorite. And thought it was kind of weird, but thought Olivia Coleman was really good in it. Um, so we're like, okay, well, let's just do this. Because I needed a reason to see this movie, and I was eager to see it. So I just kind of put up my visors as we sat down and like got ready to watch this thing. Um, I did. So I was in my hometown, 
And in my hometown, there are more Regals than AMCs. And I think we've mentioned this before. At least I am on the AMC Stubbs Pass, three movies a week. And I was like, no, we got to go to AMC so it's free for me. And the AMC closest to us was 45 minutes away. <laughs> what? Dude. So, so Dude. I offered, to, I offered to drive. I offered to drive. And my dad's like, no, I'll drive. And I'm like, okay. But I offered to drive. Why? I already I know to drive. this is going. I, I offered to drive. So we drove all the way out there. And let me tell you. Okay, no, maybe not 45 minutes. Maybe it's like 30, 30-ish minutes. Um, but it's it's a drive. It's, it's a definitely a significant drive. And... Let me just say, that was quite a car ride back. Um, quite a ride back. But um, I think I think also seeing it with my family really colored my experience of it, which we'll get into. But so, yeah, okay. you you did you did Iron Claw the wrong way. I did poor things the wrong way. Yeah. The end. Yeah. All right. Let's watch the trailer and then we need to get into our review. Yeah, we do. This is Bella. Bye, bye. Bella, this is Mr. McCandles. Hello, Bella. No, oh, she's an experiment. Good evening. Her brain and her body are not quite synchronized, but she is progressing at an accelerated pace. Tell me, where did she come from? I shall. For it is a happy tale. I am Bella Baxter, and there is a world to enjoy, circumnavigate. It is the goal of all to progress, grow. A woman plotting her course to freedom. How delightful. Okay, Poor Things, starring yeah. Emma Stone as Bella Baxter, Mark Ruffalo as Duncan Wedderburn, mm-hmm. Willem Dafoe as Dr. Goth. Godwin, a.k.a. Godwin. God Baxter, yeah. and Remy Youssef as Max McCandles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so, folks, the, listen, if you want to see this movie... I'm, I'm guessing C liked it a little bit more than me. I'm, I'm not a big fan of this movie. Mm-hmm. I would say that if you have to watch it, just wait for it to get on streaming is kind of my ultimate review. Wow. Um, C, are, okay. are, are, are you, are you going to be putting this in any top of year lists or are you just kind of like it's a good movie? Uh, well, we'll have to get to that episode, but I think I think there that might be a situation. But I want to be clear... It is not a perfect movie. I do have issues with it. Okay. But okay. but like okay. I'm not I'm not like praising this as some people are, but I don't think I definitely I'm not praising it like some people are, but I think I liked it more than you. But let me hear what you have to say. I'd well, well, the say. the reason I'm kind of giving out our thoughts early is because there's a pretty big twist in the movie mm-hmm. that you know the way the world is, I, I do feel responsible to at least tell people like what the twist is 
in case this is something like if you feel like you don't want to support that or whatever. But so. we'll open with spoiler alert. Obviously. Yeah, no, it's a, if spoiler. You it's a spoiler. Don't want to know. Spoiler alert. But mm. you, that's that's a fair that's a fair thing to say. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so essentially, poor things tells a story of Bella Baxter. Uh, she is a, you can say a patient. Better word would be experiment for a famed. A disfigured surgeon named Dr. Baxter, aka Godwin Baxter, aka God. Bella calls him God, played by Willem Dafoe. Uh, she, when we first meet Bella, she's very much like kind of, she's this grown woman in her, you know, looks young, late 20s, early 30s, uh, but she kind of acts like a toddler. And there's a, there's a, throughout like the first two thirds of the movie, or maybe the first half of the movie, it's kind of a mystery of why she acts so weird, like why her she acts like a toddler at first, but she's obviously a grown woman. So what basically happens, uh, the kind of the setup for the movie is that uh, this this, I guess you can say upper class woman called Victoria, she's a she's an upper class pregnant woman and she drowns herself. She commits suicide, and uh, she's pretty much almost dead. And Doctor Baxter, aka God. Uh, Dr. God Baxter finds uh, this woman and uh, sees that she's like nine months pregnant at most and he takes it upon himself that to bring her back to life he is going to remove the baby cut out the baby's brain and put the baby's brain in Victoria's body thereby creating Bella Baxter and I know people who've seen this who were like really disgusted by that they, they thought that was going too far so for folks if that's something that you're like, no, that's disgusting. I, I don't want to see anything like that. I mean, it's not. They don't show it. They don't should... show it. They 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 show the before and they show the out. Like they show the they show the baby in a in in you know those um fluoride jars jars. jars. Yeah. So that's that's kind of where it, like that was kind of like everybody's hereditary moment. And if you know mm -hmm. if you guys seen hereditary, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Um. So I feel like I have to kind of open up with that. Um, Can I also add, sorry, that sure, the, sure, sure. when when other characters in this learn of this, they're not happy, to be clear. They're not, they're not like, they're not, Yorgos was smart enough to not have them react in a wacky Yorgos way, where they're either like intrigued by it or just nonchalant yeah. about it. He actually understood, oh, he's like, oh, any human being would react very intensely to this. And uh, he, he very rightfully he made sure all characters reacted that way. So credit to him there. But go yeah, on. I, I would say uh, uh, he there's one character here who seems to be the only normal character. Uh, Max McCandles, played by Rami Youssef, who when he hears about it, he's I mean, it, it, it's kind of treated in a humorous way where 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 Dr. God Baxter goes like, yeah, I did that. Like and he treats it like that's normal. And that McCandles just goes like, oh, my God. It's funny, but it kind of drives the point home that, like, no, what he did was pretty fucked up. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I just feel like I have to let people know that because that's kind of been the – when that gets revealed is when, like, I actually had a couple people walk out on that. And really? Yeah, you you would think. So, mm -hmm. so here's the crazy thing, and, you know, I think C will agree with me here. Mm -hmm. So now you would think, okay, this movie is about this experiment, this – girl who's in it, been experimented on kind of relearning how to be a person and like finding a new lease on life that's what this movie's about you would think you would think that that's what this movie's about 
And for the first, I don't know. Act. Act. You're like, okay, yeah, this is what this movie is about. I mean, and it's a plot that's been done to death. Frankenstein. I mean, this movie takes a lot from Frankenstein. Frankenstein did it in a weird way. Shape of Water did it. It's it's that plot of like. You, you think this is going to be Frankenstein. You've had Frankenstein. You've had the Bride of Frankenstein. And now we're like, oh, we have Frankenstein's daughter. That's I mean, genuinely hell, what you uh, think you're doing. Harry and the Hendersons. You always have like this outsider of society interacting with society right um oh i i got a plot uh the 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 very first thing that uh jj abrams ever wrote um regarding henry regarding mm. henry's about this guy this guy played by harrison ford uh he gets shot in the head has life-saving surgery basically starts off basically gets a new lease on life and like kind of his brain is reset he was kind of a jackass before to his wife and kid and it was like having a ton of affairs gets shot in the head basically kind of starts acting like a naive teenager and becomes just a better person right so like yeah even jj abram has done this plot right mm -hmm. so you're like yeah, okay this plot's been done a ton of times over and over again outsider or someone gets a new lease on life but now approaches it from a different angle like I think even in a weird way, Fisher King does that. Yeah, no, Fisher 100%. King does that. Yeah, but but Fisher King does something very special with it, which we won't get yeah, into. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so you're like, okay, that's what this movie's about. Uh, I mean, okay, it's been done before, but hey, Yorgos Lanthimos is, you know, his his photography, the way he sets up sets up the camera, the way he he plays out scenes and sequences, that's very unique. So okay, we'll, there'll be that type of plot with a Yorgos Lanthimos twist. <laughs> nah, folks. This movie is about sex. Mm -hmm. No, this movie is about fucking. Nah, this movie is about uh, penile penetration. That's penile penetration is, is what this movie is about. Very this, specifically, this movie. Like, I, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be very, very blunt with you guys, folks. This movie, I've probably seen more shots of Emma Stone's bush than I have of. <laughs> Emma Stone's face, like a close-up <laughs> of her face, because I don't think Yorgos Lanthimos really likes close-ups, because he uses wide-angle lenses to capture the whole thing. So there are more shots where you can really see Emma Stone's bush versus a close-up of Emma Stone. That's how wrong. much sex is in this movie. Mm -hmm. And listen, I'm I'm not a prude. I've, I I would argue that. Well, no, no, no. You go on. I'm sorry. I'll get into my thing. I'm not a prude. At some point, I was like, okay, this movie's not about Bella kind of new lease on life, learning learning about life. Well, here's the crazy thing. The movie still acts like it is about that, you know? Like, oh, Bella confronting patriarchal uh, uh, patriarchal men or, or, or pa patriarchal conventions. or Bella or, coming across the downtrodden elements of society. So yeah, uh, Bella coming across uh, exploitation. Bella coming acro across the pitfalls of capitalism. Um, Bella coming across uh, kind of the the worst of the worst of like of like social caste, economic caste, right? Like in Victoria or whatever. Whenever this thing takes place in England, England, you know, English class systems. She comes across all that stuff. And you're like, okay, what's the movie gonna say? Oh, oh, we're back to sex. Oh, okay, we're we're back to sex. <laughs> we're back to sex. Yeah. And at some point, I was like, what is Lanthimos and uh, screenwriter Tony McNamara trying to say about sex? 
And folks, I left the movie going like, I have no idea what this movie was trying to say about. Like, there's a line where, I don't know if it was Bella. I think it was Bella. She says, sex is interesting. And I was like, okay. Literally, humanity knew that since the moment we were self-aware. Give me something a little bit more specific. And the movie never really does. It's so, like, it's so just, like, it, it just, it seems like it just wants to show you, like, look at him, a stone. Look at her being naked. Look at her getting railed on. Isn't that interesting? And I was like, sure, movie. That was interesting for, like, the first ten minutes. Can we do something else? So, anyway, that's that's kind of my opening salvo on this movie. How about you, C? Okay. So, my thing is, so you said that this movie initially was going to be a, you know, done before, but, you know, through the Yorgos lens of someone learning and growing up through life, so to speak. Like one of those Like, like a second chance, a, a new lease on life. New lease on life movie. The new, the new lease on life plot. And, and I would say, I think it still is. The only difference is that Yorgos is saying that sex is a very big part of that. Um, that's, I think, the only difference here. I think he's just deciding that sex is a very massive part of that. And he wants to explore that in... He's trying to explore sex in a new way, and he isn't really. He's just, I actually agree with your criticism here. He's not really exploring it in a new way that I observed. He's just doing it a lot, so to speak, which has also been done in movies. But it's doing it in a lot, doing it a lot in a way that a lot of movies don't do, which is attempt to make it monotonous. And when you attempt to make something like this monotonous, because it is inherently not monotonous, it kind of comes off as funny, that or at least trying to be funny. Mm. Um, yeah, I like kind of kind of. So, if poor things like so, folks, there's just uh, such a volume of sex scenes in this movie that you just can't help but think like, okay, what's he trying to say? But let's set that aside for right now. Mm-hmm. Take take the sex scenes out. Sure. Uh, this film. Ostensibly, yeah, it's kind of like that new lease on life plot that's been done before, like again said regarding Henry. A lot of other movies have done this where it's like approaching life through a through a second through a new lens, like through an outsider lens. Or approaching society and civilization through an outsider or lens. Or approaching life after some something has happened to you, like diving bell and the butterfly. Yeah. And finding yeah, yeah. a new lease on life in that way. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's been done. There are hundreds of movies with this similar plot. The thing that was frustrating to me, like before it really, it really hammered on the sex stuff. I was like, after the, the, after the discovery of what exactly happened to Bella, I was like, you know, I'm more interested to know is Bella the, the, the child or is Bella, you know, the mother. And there was, there was, so uh, I actually, I sorry, I do think the movie answers that question, but you tell me what you think. I just okay. had to say I think I, I, I think the movie answered the question. I, I agree with you. I think the movie answered the question where it was like, Oh yeah, she's uh she's this, maybe. Not re- doesn't really matter. And my thing was having that discussion within the film, having that be the crux of the film, who is Bella really, would have made for a significantly more interesting uh character arc. For, uh, for Bella in particular. Like this this movie wanted to be, 
or, or this movie felt like it should have been not a question of a new lease on life or approaching life from a different lens, but a question of identity. And the movie never does that. The movie literally just doesn't deal with the, the topic at all until like the third act. And it goes like, yeah, yeah, she might be, she might be the daughter. doesn't really matter. Bella's Bella. And I'm like, okay, it's, it's fine if that's the answer, but kind of wrestling with that would have made for a significantly more interesting movie than being like, oh, Bella, Bella saw the downtrodden. Bella heard music for the first time. Also, she's fucking a ton. Like, like, do, so, you, see so where for do the, you see where I'm getting at? I, I do see what you're getting at. And for the record, I do think what the movie says is that Bella is neither the child nor the mother. Yeah, Bella yeah, is I neither. Agree. Bella is someone new. Like, she's I, neither, I, and, but it doesn't really matter. The movie does really say, like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, which is a weird... That, and that is actually one thing I do disagree about. It does matter. It absolutely matters for a lot of reasons. But I think the movie is saying that... For that she is neither um, because they yeah, kind of yeah, I agree I agree for the record they use Willem Dafoe's character to kind of tell the audience what to think at times yeah um, it feels like that's because you know what it is sorry they use Emma Stone's character Bella to ask the questions and then they use um, Willem Dafoe's character God Dr. Godwin or Dr. Dr. God, Dr. God yeah Dr. God to answer the questions that seems to be what the movie does a lot oh yeah um, I totally agree it's like that seems to be the back and forth here, which is kind of interesting. Um, you know, I, I, sorry to interrupt. No, how about it? I would, I would say, though, I would say I was infinitely more fascinated with the character of Dr. God played by Willem Dafoe than oh, I ever thousand, was with Bella. Oh, a thousand percent. I wanted a Dr. God movie. I was like, I want to know your life. Holy crap. So, um, so folks, he's yeah. disfigured. Uh, if you watch the trailer, you'll see Willem Dafoe like really disfigured. And you might be like, OK, he did that to himself. Four no, hours no, no. of makeup. Yeah, well, only four hours of makeup. But you would think, oh, the character did that to himself because he's like a mad scientist. No, I'm not going to tell you. That's something I don't want to spoil because that was like the highlight of the film. Him slowly, offhandedly revealing his backstory of why he looks that way. And I'm and there sorry. Is, there is a missed opportunity that they avoided with using Dr. God, which I will get into at the end because it is a bit of a spoiler. But we'll get to that later. But I was just so infinitely more interested. I was like, that's a movie. You're the more interesting character because this is a guy who has a creation. Because he's he's pretty he's effectively Dr. Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a guy who has a creation. But instead of Dr. Frankenstein who feared and hated his creation, Dr. God loves his creation. Loves loves her like his own flesh and blood and mm -hmm. wants what's best for her. Right? Mm -hmm. And I was just so much more interested in that character than, than honestly I was with Bella because, you know, it was it just – First of all, Willem Dafoe is, is a master actor. Oh, he really made you believe that amazing. he suffered through what he suffered and that ultimately he's like not dealing with it in the most healthiest of ways. Not in, but, not but in that the slightest. He, he ultimately gets his happy ending. He does. Um, yeah. But I also want to take a moment to bring up that in my opinion, one thing that really made me enjoy this movie is – so obviously the acting all around is really good. Oh, yeah. I think every I think everyone agrees with that. Mm -hmm. Um so Mark Ruffalo is giving his best that I have seen since like the thing that initially made people pay attention to him years ago in the nineties. Yeah. Like you can count on me. Yes. And he's, you can count on me is a great movie. I love that movie. He, he um, plays an asshole in that. <laughs> yeah. And he does a great job. He plays an asshole with that. You later learn is not as much of an asshole, but that's can, a whole Can you kind of describe Mark Ruffalo's character to the audience? In, oh, in uh board thing. Yeah. Yes. So he, Mark Ruffalo's character basically is the, 
what we what later becomes the first male suitor of Bella. Uh, basically, it doesn't start out that way. It starts out as what is he in relation to Doctor Goth? He was some. It was some. He was. He was thing. a lawyer. He was a contract lawyer. He was a contract lawyer. That's right. And he was a contract lawyer, bit of a philanderer. A cad. Tell, the word a is cad. cad. <laughs> he was a cad. He thought he was more interesting for, than for, he actually for folks was. That don't, sorry, sorry to keep interrupting. For folks that don't know what a cad is, fuck boy. He's a cad. Yes. He's a cad. He's a fuck boy. Um, definitely thought he was more interesting than he actually was, which I actually kind of loved about that character. But what um, what he is doing in this is without a doubt a career best. And it's here's the thing: seeing any other actor do this may not have been such a revelation. But Mark Ruffalo kind of play, gives the same performance always um, in his movies. Yeah, like the, the the kind of the beleaguered nice guy. The beleaguered, yeah, exactly. And you know, or the what? beleaguered and, and, not mousy guy. Yeah, and guess what? In some movies, that works. He's done it where it works. Not denying that for a moment. But he always does it. He always does it. He always does it. He always does it. Um. But in poor things, I don't know if it was the direction. I don't know if it was. Uh, I'm sure it had to have been some of the direction here, but. He plays this absolute, just raunchy, two-dimensional, but doesn't... He's playing a character that is revealed to be... You know what it is? It's like, it's a character who thinks he's three-dimensional, but is actually two-dimensional, and can't help but show it off all the fucking time. And it's the funniest, funniest thing. Mm -hmm. He is absolutely giving a career best and yes for the record al you're 100 right he is a fuck boy that's what he is in this movie but he's a victorian fuck boy which makes it kind of better <laughs> not just, not just that, it's not just that he's a fuck boy it's that he's a fuck boy who unironically falls for bella mm -hmm. at the same moment that bella's kind of over him mm -hmm. and and the, the, his absolute hatred of the situation because he makes no mistake he literally tells bella I'm literally just fucking you because I think you're attractive and then I'm just going to dump you somewhere. And the way the movie ends up, he becomes so obsessed with Bella because ironically, Bella just starts losing interest in him. Mm -hmm. And, he's and never it's so that. fucking funny. It, it yeah. Like Mark Ruffalo is the highlight of this film because it's so fucking funny. Because again, you've never seen an actor who kind of got pigeonholed into playing like some version of a nice guy. Like, do you know when was the last time he played an asshole? When? See, do you remember the last thing, the last time he played an asshole? When was it his first movie? No, it was, oh. uh, and it wasn't even a very big role. It was, uh, it was Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. Oh yeah, he. That is. was the last time he played an asshole. But it's it it he is, but it's it's a very it's a he's a underwhelming asshole in that. No, yeah, but it's kind of that same vibe. He he was a fuck boy in that too. Yeah. Oh, even worse, he was he was a fuck boy who was like who was like stalking patients in order to date them. Yeah, like, that, after their true. minds were wiped. Yeah, that was so. So fucked. I can totally see Yorgos Lanthimos reading the script and being like, "Oh, this is Mark Ruffalo in Eternal Sunshine. Let me just mm -hmm. get Mark Ruffalo." the The funny thing was that Mark Ruffalo didn't want to play the role because, and uh, this is kind of this is kind of hilarious. He was really embarrassed to do the sex scenes. Mm -hmm. He was like legit, like legitimately. He was like, "I'm I'm too old to be having sex with Emma Stone. I'm like." 30 years or 50, 20 years older than her. Yeah, significantly older, yeah. Like 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 an old guy having sex with such a young woman, like it's it's just it kind of cringy. 
Which, you know what? He's not wrong. He's no, not he, wrong. No, he's not wrong. And I think I, that was one of the things I actually really appreciate. One of the very few things I actually appreciated about the sex scenes with, between him and Emma Stone was that, like, like, yeah, this is cringy that this guy, this, this guy's with this woman who's, like, nowhere near close to his age either in mind or in body, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a level of disgust there that I can totally see. But what impressed me so much about Mark Ruffalo is that I can imagine that he has that same idea. Like, oh, this is just disgusting. But the fact that he does it with such gusto, like he really got into the character of like, yeah, yeah, I'm just railing this woman. Mm-hmm. And like and like he's just like those scenes, he's just so confident in them. Right. Mm-hmm. He's just like going at it. And then at the end, like at their post sex scenes, he's like smoking a cig- cigarette going like. Oh, I'm such a great lover, aren't I? Oh, I'm so fastidious. Oh. <laughs> and it's hilarious. It's hilarious. No, it's and, really and fucking I, funny. I really applaud Mark Ruffalo because that's not easy. Like, it, when when he was like, I was literally telling my agent that, like, I can't do this. I, I would die of embarrassment. And then just to see him just give such a powerful performance there, I was like, I was like, okay, if this is what the sex scenes are about, I get it. But, and I, again, I hate to circle back. Eventually, it stops being about that, and it's literally just about Bella just getting railed on. Like, I, I still struggle to see what exactly Yorgos Lanthimos has to say. I, I mentioned it to you, see, uh, off air, mm-hmm. that um, something I noticed about the film as I was watching it is that uh, – so Bella eventually – first, the, the sex scenes are Bella and, and, uh, and uh, Mark Ruffalo's character having a ton of sex – uh, they go to they go to Portugal, and it's just them having sex, eating, walking, sex, eating, walking. Bella as a character seems like th- the sex really starts in the first act. Uh, Bella discovers masturbation, and mm-hmm. like that immediately was, becomes obsessed with with orgasm. Right, she be- becomes obsessed with it. Mark Ruffalo's character Wedderburn is able to kind of whisk her away to Portugal because he pretty much says, yeah, I'm going to give you a ton of orgasms with my dick. And literally the sex scenes are him just having passionate love with, uh, with Emma Stone, with Bella Baxter. And it's like, they have sex, they go out to eat, maybe talk a little bit, have sex, go out to eat. And throughout the whole thing, Bella very much is like, I just want the orgasm. I want the orgasm. I want the orgasm so badly. Mm-hmm. Outside of a throwaway line in the third act, we never really – the movie never explores why Bella wants an orgasm all the fucking time. Uh, it, it It's not never explored. It's just kind of like yeah, this, this – can, can I say what I believe might be a, something here? Sure, sure. I think Yorgos Latimos is a student of Freud. Um, <laughs> to put it fucking plainly, um, I think Yorgos potentially believes that humans are always craving sex because it seems like based on this movie and a little bit of his other movies, but mainly this movie, that much in the way of Freud, you have the conscious and the unconscious and for whatever reason, Yorgo seems to agree that the unconscious just wants to eat and wants to have sex and wants to eat again and wants to have sex again. Mm. He, I, I genuinely think Yorgo seems to believe this. Oh. So, okay. 
Because if, because think about it. Okay, put it in the mindset where that's what you really believe. That beneath everything else that we have, beneath the interests we have, the passions we pursue, the jobs we do, the people we care about. If you suddenly genuinely believe that we are nothing but our original ancestors of chimpanzees, or we eat and have sex, but even they have desires and interests beyond that, that have since been studied. Suddenly, what he's saying in this movie, I think, whether you agree with it or not, makes a little bit more sense. So, in the sense that if if everybody owned up to the fact, in his opinion, owned up to the fact that we just we want to do sex and we want to eat and we want to do sex and we keep wanting to do sex, that if we owned that, that life would be better and we'd be more fulfilled in that way. I think that's kind of what he's saying. Because I know I talked to you off air a little bit about the potential repercussions of what he's suggesting as, as a positive thing or and and or not as a neutral or negative thing. And that can be debated here on end. But I think he genuinely is saying that if we all just admitted we were more passionate about sex than society is currently stating, which guess what? Not everyone is, then we then we would all be more better and more fulfilled. I think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying it in a weird way. But that's also because I think he's trying to stick with the book, although, as you pointed out, that wasn't entirely the case. Uh, but I, I genuinely think that's what he's saying. I See, here's my here's my problem, though. It's like, so if, if his thesis is we're all better off embracing our, our carnal desires, um, like, is he saying, like, yeah, just eat and fuck. You'll be happy. Like, that's, that's I, a... I think he's more... I think he's more saying don't be... If you were to ask him, let me be more clear. If you walked up to him and asked him, and, and like, is this what you think? He'd probably respond with something along the lines of, I'm just tired of people being so afraid of it all the time. Because you know, there's another artist who is very much, not a filmmaker, but there's another artist who is very passionate about the carnal desires. And that is, um, oh my God, I have one of his art books. Um, Melting Clocks. Um, Dolly? 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 Dolly was all about the carnal desires, in a way. He's like, if you're hungry, eat. If you want to have sex, have sex. If you want to go do this, do that. He was a little more broad with it, but that really was his thing. Like He was all about embracing the constant inner desires that you have, and you'll have a better life. That was his belief. I'm not stating that I believe that, but he believed it. See, um, okay, if that's if that's his... If, and I'm not, I'm not, you know... I'm, I'm saying I'm, either way. You're not saying yeah. either way. Here's the thing. If that's his thesis, I vehemently disagree because it's it's inherently very it's a very selfish ideology to be like, yeah, I just I, I'm hungry. I want to eat. Like, oh yeah, like I agree. Because because here's the, here's the problem with that. Like Bella, like, and I'm not I'm not saying like your theory is wrong. I'm saying like if, if Yorgos Lanthimos really believes that, why then have Bella cry over the downtrodden? Right. Like, like, hey, she has her food. She's fine. Right. And and something something I noticed with the sex scenes is like it's always Bella receiving. She's mm -hmm. she's always getting she's she's always, you know, receiving either from a man or in one scene she's receiving oral from a woman. She never, ever gives. She's never you never see her pleasure a man or, at, a woman. At, or a woman at the expense of her own pleasure. Mm -hmm. right like it's like at best it's mutual right mm -hmm. um you know she's always like she's never like 
because there's a there's a whole sequence where she becomes a prostitute in Paris, and there's never a moment where she's like, oh, let me let me pleasure you, for you and me like not getting pleasure at all, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, let's let's be res- let me reciprocate, so to speak. Yeah, she never reciprocates. That's the best way to put it. She never reciprocates, and that's inherently very selfish. And that was kind mm-hmm. of the thing I was like, like this is your lead character. Okay, she's hypersexual. There, a character mentions off offhandedly that in her past life she was very hypersexual, and and to to be like, okay, that explains why she likes sex so much. But I was like, okay, she's very hypersexual. So in essence, she's a nymphomaniac. And are you saying this is a good thing? Are you, what what are you trying to say here? I think he's saying that it's just the way it is. Um, in his opinion. And I also want to add, you mentioned how he how Emma Stone's character Bella comes across the downtrodden. Now, okay, this is a little minorly spoilerly, not really. She's horrified by this, of course, like like any human would be. And she does something to attempt to make it better, but then after after that, the movie doesn't focus on the attempt, it more focuses on the failure of that. And then kind of brushes it under the rug and forgets the fuck about it, and it's just more used as a plot device to lead to the next to the next scene. Yeah, so and, and that's kind of, of a weird thing to do. That, well, see, that, that's kind of my whole issue with Bella, with Bella as a character and Bella's character arc. Bella's character arc is really weird in the sense of like she doesn't grow. We just she goes from like I want sex, I want sex, I want sex. Oh, I I, I read philosophy books. Uh, I read philosophy books. Don't really talk about it. Oh, I see all the downtrodden. Oh, I don't want to be cynical. I want to be a doctor now. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, what is this? Like, this is just like, I would love to pick Lanthimos's head and be like, what were you trying to say with Bella? If it amounts to like, isn't just life weird? Okay, fine. But when people are writing treatises like this is the most feminist movie of 2023, it's not for the. And record, I'm like, I'm like, I don't, I don't it, think it is. Like how? Like the most this thing has to say about feminism is that Bella shouldn't be controlled. But then, okay, so there are three instances where Bella is confronted by a man who's pretty much going to say, "I'm going to control you." One or one is with uh, Doctor God. One is with McCandles. Mm-hmm. One is with uh, Mark Ruffalo's character Waterburn, and. At each moment, she's like, no, and continues on. They never put up a front. Like, Dr. God doesn't put up a front because he doesn't want to lose her love. Uh, McCandles literally gets defeated with, uh, with, uh, with, uh, uh, what, what's that, what's that stuff called that knocks you out? Oh, uh, um, chloroform? Chloroform. Literally gets yeah. knocked out with chloroform. And, <laughs> Most hilariously with Wedderburn, he literally just says, I'm not going to let you do this. I'm not going to let you do this. He just goes like, bye, bitch. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Only one male character throughout the entire film actually puts up an ops, uh, a realistic obstacle to Bella. And that's uh, uh, Christopher Abbott's character who plays uh, the husband of Bella from her previous life, Alfie Blessington. By the way, you can see uh, Christopher Abbott when he plays The Wolfman, directed by Leigh Winnell later this year. Yes. Um uh, so he this is fascinating he really is like ultimately the villain of the film and Mm -hmm. that whole third act involving him and emma stone that's the most interesting part of the movie because that's literally bella being confronted by something that she just can't be like bye bitch or be like let me go or i'll hate you for the rest of my life Mm -hmm. literally literally alfie blessington has a gun with him that he points at everybody Mm -hmm. 
first of all, that's hilarious. And then it, it just becomes hilarious. really disturbing. Yeah. Right. And then he has a monologue that's so horrifying. That that was the most interesting part of the film that I was like, I'm really into this because now she's being confronted with who she might have been before. She's being confronted by a, a patriarchal but she force. Do, but she doesn't really explore that too much. That's the unfortunate thing. She no, kind of no, no, like no. gets into it a bit and then is like, no, fuck this. Well, well, the thing is, the thing is, is that it's the only moment where she confronts something that where she's like, oh, that's an obstacle. Like every other time with every other man, it's been, you're not really an obstacle and she just moves on. So when people were like, this is really feminist, I'm like, how? She never, ever really lost control of the situation until the third act. And even then, she she was still able to win without really breaking a big sweat. Um, I don't know. I the the movie the the movie's doing so much and I just really don't feel like it like thematically the movie's doing a lot. I don't know what the film's trying to say about sex. I don't know what the film's really trying to say about Bella as a character. I know I I I understand the supporting roles of Dr. Godwin Baxter and Duncan Wedderburn played by Willem Dafoe and Mark Ruffalo respectively than I ever did Emma Stone's character. And maybe that's me. Maybe that's a me problem. But like, how can you include so much sex? And I literally have no idea what you're trying to say about sex. There's a lot of sex in an animated film called uh, Sausage Party. And oh, I knew God. what the movie, I knew what that movie was trying to say about sex. Sex is funny, isn't it? Everything is phallic, isn't it? Like, there was simple to the point and it worked. I see, we saw that movie together and we, we both did. were dying of laughter. Oh, but hilarious. we both got what it was trying to say. Yeah. I, I'm glad you have a theory over what the movie was trying to say about sex. I, it's just so all over the place. Mm -hmm. Maybe I need to watch it again. I don't know. Um, but you know, I know we've talked a lot about sex and there's still one other thing I didn't like about the film. And I kind of touched on that earlier. The mm -hmm. whole entire first act is told in extreme white angle, black and white with fisheye lenses in between. No, oh, you were dying. I'm sure I was like, I was like, if this film does not fix its photography, I'm walking out. I, it, it strained my eyes. I really hate the moment. It kept doing that fisheye over and over again for a transition yeah. shot of, of when, when Bella oh, her walks and her across, dreams or whatever, or no, no. When, you know, when Bella walked through the house of Dr. Gods mm -hmm. and like every time she go through the hallway, it'd be that obnoxious fisheye lens shot. Yeah, yeah. Every I was like, if this happens one more time, I'm walking out of this film. I cannot stand this photography. Fortunately, once the film gets into color, it it tones down. Calms down. It calms down that I'm able to tolerate it. But oh, that yeah. entire first act, I was going crazy. Mm. How did you feel about the way this movie shot? So I didn't I didn't mind the way it was shot at all. Um, I don't mind wide angles. I I'm not saying that you like. I understand when they can be overused. I agree with that. Um, the way this was shot didn't bother me too much. The one thing that did bother me, because let me be clear, I did love like the production design and the costumes of this movie. I thought that was awesome. Um, I liked that every item of clothing that was used was period accurate, but intentionally used incorrectly. I think that is a really interesting element to include. Um, I loved just the alternate look of the world as a whole. Uh, the one thing that bothered me, interestingly enough, and I, I think I got why he did it. When we went into color, because again, black and white, this wasn't an issue. When they went into color, the sky bothered me a lot. Um, it was very pretty, 
But once you were stuck with it, it had the Barbie land effect that I was afraid was going to happen, where it was going to start to get nauseating. And it staved off just enough because there were plenty of indoor scenes there, like later on. But there's a whole sequence where she's on the boat. She's on a cruise, basically. And there's this big night sky and the day sky as well. And I'm just like, oh my god, this is too much. This is like candy colored in a really weird way. And it's like everywhere. You can't escape it. So that is my that would probably be my biggest visual critique of the movie. But overall, I, I thought it was really unique looking and original looking. I loved I love subtle world building and production design. I love when they get that right. Um but plenty of movies don't. This movie did get the subtle world building right. Like, you just look at some of the designs and the architecture, and you realize there's an interesting purpose to a lot of it. A lot of the architecture, looking back, it's by, you know, uh, the famous uh, church in uh, in uh, Barcelona yes. that looks like a giant... You know what I'm talking I'm, about. I'm very aware. You've showed yeah. me pictures. Yeah, because I love it. But, you, okay, that a lot of the architecture here is inspired by that architect, and I love that look. Um, I think it's sandcastle It's fun. So, but it was also kind of, you got a little bit of Victorian vibe and almost steampunkish, but not quite. So I, I enjoyed the overall look, but the cinematography itself, speaking to that, maybe I was distracted by the production design, but it didn't bother me that much because stuff like that doesn't bother me that much. I Listen, I love the production design. I thought the production design was great. Um, I thought some of the things that were CGI was so like, really saturated and i was like okay but it's not supposed to look real so i accepted that the makeup was was incredible no the makeup was really really good i just again was more bothered by the photography because i I just don't like white angle photography i'm not i'm not a fan i'm just not Mm -hmm. a fan but i know that's what yorgos does that's what yorgos lantimos does it's it's been his mo since dogtooth really yeah um so it just wasn't my my big big thing there there's a lot of things i could say about uh about poor things that I that I was confused by or didn't understand or I, I just don't feel like it I jived with it well. But, you know, before we one last thing we'll talk about before we, we give our rating is and I don't know if you'll agree or disagree with me, C, but mm-hmm. I I don't see how this is an Oscar worthy performance for Emma Stone outside of the fact that I mean she put her body out there front and center and I know that's that's tough. That's really, really tough because Emma Stone is not known for doing nudity. She's just not. She she she's she's she never she just doesn't do that. That that's something Eva Green does. That's something um what what other Eva Green is like the most famous example of someone who's like you you Yeah, she she's can, okay she with she gets it. naked. Um yeah. but Emma Stone definitely wasn't. I mean she's she's a solid B plus, A minus lister. Like, yeah, so putting it all out there in the open and, you know, as much as she did like if if that's what's getting you an Oscar nom, I'm like really okay, I guess. Like I, I but I say I say really to the Academy at that point, like really Academy. But yeah, you're giving someone an Oscar just because they got naked. Like, like honestly, Emma, like the character Emma Stone played in The Favorite is a thousand times more complex and more interesting than Bella. Mm-hmm. Like, folks, it really is that she plays Bella as a toddler in the first act, kinda as as a super super horny teenager in the second act, and just as some as a someone who just likes sex throughout the rest of the movie that's I, I like what mark ruffalo does with his character is more interesting than what emma stone does with bella baxter i don't know maybe i'm being that asshole i just 
like when people say like, oh, Emma Stone is going to win against Lily Gladstone. I'm like, how? I don't Lily see Gladstone that. was doing something really, really interesting with her character. Emma Stone got naked a lot, got tied up. And uh, acted like a kid for like the first twenty minutes. I I, I don't know. What, what do you think? See, am I, am, I, am I being an asshole here? Am I being no, an asshole? Um, only a little bit. I'm just kidding. No, you're. you're <laughs> not. Um, I would say this. I don't think Emma. I I can see Emma Stone getting a nomination. I can. I think what she did, she did the thing that other actors do, where um, how do I put this? Um, achieves a certain mental state. Um. And she did do that. And she got naked. So she's checking off two kinds of boxes. So I, I can see the Academy nominating her. I think she did a fine job with what she was asked to do. I think it is an interesting character to, pl to play. Um, sort of a, She played a more interesting character in La La Land. Oh, that's unfair. I, I agree with you that she played... She played... A, sorry, I, keep, I don't mean to keep bumping my table if you hear that, folks. Um... She played a more interesting character in uh, The Favorite. That I 100% agree with. But La La Land, is, that, that's a little too far. I would say it's one thing to play a character that is trying to make it big in Hollywood. I think it is at least a little bit more to play a character who is finding themselves as a child in a grown body. There is a, at least a degree further in that, I would say, in my opinion. Um, but for people saying that she's going to beat Lily Gladstone, I fucking hope not. Lily Gladstone had such layers to that character. And the other thing is the Emma Stone's character changes literally throughout the movie. Literally. Her brain develops and grows. Lily Gladstone's character changes subtly. So subtly that when it hits you and when you see the difference, you 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 don't realize it till after you've seen the movie. Like mm -hmm. there's this the subtlety in Lily Gladstone's performance, and then when she brings out the major moments of acting, it like you it I'm not saying Lily Gladstone I'm sorry, this is we're not talking about that that, but I do I do agree with you in the sense that the comparison is not justified as far as taking the Oscar. So I am with you on that entirely. Mm. All right. So what do you give? What rating do you give? Poor things. I give this a flaky flush, in the sense that it is a flush. It is very unique, interesting, and original. Again, I like that he pulled from an, a really old, weird book rather than just coming up with it himself. He pulled from existing material, uh, but it's a little flaky at times because it's, you know. I agree with you that you are a little unclear what Yorgos is trying to say. And while I have my theory on what he's trying to say, technically that Yorgos hasn't stated as such. So there's some flakiness to it uh, in that sense. This is a, a, I hate to say it. This is a steam. This is a steamy sucks for me. Really? Yeah. A sucks. Wow. I, I'm, I just was not on this movie's way. There were only two things that kept me with this movie. Mark Ruffalo and Willem Dafoe. Mm. I, I'm sorry. Like, the no, photography no, 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 bugged no. me. Oh, three things. The production design, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Okay. Listen, I do not mind sex. I do not mind watching movies about sex. I do not mind watching implied sex or graphic sex. Oh, my I God. In the Move for Love, that's another movie about sex. Uh, 
movie about sex somewhere. Well, in the mood for love, the whole point is they never have sex because they don't want to. They don't want to debase themselves like their partners. In the mood for love is about two people who find out that their their husband and wife respectively are having an affair with each other, mm-hmm. and they basically oh, make about, a joke. Sorry. And, and they they end up falling in love ironically, but they don't want to debase themselves like their their cheating partners do, respectively. That's so. fair. That's more about the desire for sex. Exactly. Exactly. Fair enough. Fair but enough. but but the thing here is that I'm just so confused about what Lanthimos is trying to say. I'm confused, and I don't feel like it's totally my fault. I don't know what he's trying to say, and I I. I feel like what if, if he is trying to say certain things, I'm like, that's just not how humanity works. There's a reason why we we study and we talk about sex since the beginning of human history. There, there, there's a reason for that. They just kind of boil it down to like, well, who cares? It's just about your orgasm. That's just, that's just not, that's just not correct. You know, it's, it's just not. Um, there's an inf- there, there's potential for a very, very interesting movie here that pops up every once in a while. And it frustrated me to no end. And I was like, if this movie takes th- if this movie goes in this direction and just stops with the constant sex, like that would be so interesting. If this movie was about this, this would be so interesting. If the movie had this conflict throughout the entire runtime, that'd be so interesting. Like and there was one point where I was like, if this movie was about this guy, it'd be more interesting. I- I'm sorry. I just I am not I'm not into Bella. I I think I I don't know what her conceptualization is supposed to be. Like maybe maybe I'm an asshole, but I I just don't get it. So it's a steamy it's a steamy sucks. Like yeah, the, uh. at, at one point I was like is the sex supposed to be titillating? I guess no, it is. No, it's not. No, it's not. I like, don't like, think no, it's No, there was one time where I was like I I guess it's supposed to be, but then like once you become a prostitute I'm like okay, no it's not. So a steamy sucks is like it's trying to be, but it kind of not succeeds um that being said that that being said that being said uh i have a fucking sucks for yorgo latimos's first film like i I did not like that film i did not like that movie dogtooth fucking sucks but but i feel like he's the greek lars von trier where you watch something people will say it's brilliant and other people will say it's like the shittiest thing ever Mm -hmm. i'm i'm gonna be one of those guys that they'll be like what did you think of poor things i hated it or I, I really didn't like. It. I didn't hate it. I just didn't like it. Yeah. So I don't recommend it. But you love. But you. But you love the favorite. I do. I love the favorite. I think so the favorite the, is brilliant political satire. So here's my question then. So for with uh, Lars von Trier, like I'm sure I'm the same way. There's movies of Lars you like, and there's movies of his you don't. Oh, is yeah. that fair to say? Oh, very much so. Yeah, Melancholia I, I, is brilliant. Oh, Melancholia is his best fucking movie. Let's, in my opinion. Um, granted, I haven't seen Dancer in the Dark, so I've heard that's... Dancer heard in the Dark is really depressing. No, I know. But I've seen a lot of his movies. But, but Antichrist, Antichrist is just like... It's just... It, 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 it's hostile, but artsy. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, why would I want to see this? Like, like a oh, a, na- a, na- is a, a nail goes through a penis. Why would I want to see that? Yeah, why? See, well, well, what's the point? Oh, women are evil? That's stupid. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, Latimos to me is the Greek Lars von Trier, and this is just every one country that, needs one. Yeah, every country. Need, who's the American Lars von Trier? The closest we have, and it's not really. Let me be clear. Um, we have we have director. We have a couple directors that like if you combined them, they'd become the American Lars von Trier. So you've got like um, Eli Roth and Tim Burton, if you combined the two, you'd get the American Lars von Trier. Yeah, convinced yeah of it. totally agree. But, totally. With, but, with a sprinkle of David Lynch. Sure, yeah. But Lynch, yeah, so that, yeah, exactly. But instead, 
You, I thought Lynch was Canadian. Am I wrong? No, no Lynch is from Montana. Oh, Cronenberg is Canadian. I'm sorry. Cronenberg's Canadian. Um, my bad. Sorry. Um, that's silence. I can tell. I was really mad that I confused the two. Um, yes, I but, am. Yes, <laughs> but, but no, no. I know they're very different directors. Um, but my, but yes. So we don't have a singular director like that. But if you combined those two, you would definitely get that. Hmm. All right. So this has been our review of of Poor Things. Uh, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna be really mad if Emma Stone wins the Oscar. <laughs> I will I will be disappointed. Just listen. Don't be surprised if she gets nominated. Just saying. No, I won't so. be surprised. I won't be surprised. But anyway, oh. anyway. So uh, this has been. What do you think? I'm Al, and I'm C. Bella. Bella.